Hey there, and welcome to In Sickness and In Health, a podcast about our relationships with our bodies and issues at the intersections with chronic illness, disability, healthcare, and mortality. My name is Kara Gale. I'm not a doctor or a medical professional. I'm just a person and a patient who really wants to talk about this stuff more. Nothing said on this show should ever be considered medical advice. If you're experiencing a medical issue, please seek qualified medical help. I know the system sucks, but I wish you a lot of luck. Every person is different, even within disease groups, so none of my guests should ever be regarded as official representatives or spokespersons for their conditions. Please respect their very personal choices, and unless they ask for it, please don't make suggestions about treatments or lifestyle changes or even diagnoses. Unsolicited medical advice is never not annoying. This episode is a bit of a return to our original format, because this was an interview I actually recorded around this time last year. I talked to Australian appearance activist and writer Carly Findlay about her experience living with ichthyosis, which is a genetic condition that affects the skin, hair, and nails. We also talked about telling our stories on our own terms, the value of our personal information, identity, and the Australian healthcare system. And she told me a little bit about living through my worst nightmare when one of her photos was misused and posted to Reddit. You can find Carly's writing at carlyfindlay.com.au and on Twitter and Instagram at carlyfindlay. That's C-A-R-L-Y-F-I-N-D-L-A-Y. Since this chat, she's launched a podcast of her own called Refreshments Provided with her co-host Jason Scott Watkins. It's a conversation between two food-loving friends with the occasional guest, and Carly's also now working on her first book. As always, you can find links to some of the stuff we talk about in this episode on our website, insicknesspod.com, and find us on social media at insicknesspod. You can help out the show by subscribing, rating, and reviewing us on iTunes, or with donations through PayPal or Patreon. Patreon allows me to accept small recurring donations on a per-episode basis, which helps out with production costs on the show. You can find those links and even a video that explains exactly how Patreon works at insicknesspod.com donate. So, if you happen to be an eccentric millionaire with plenty of money to burn, I'm happy to take it off your hands. I decided to finally put this episode up because I noticed in my SoundCloud statistics that I had a huge uptick in listeners in Australia in the past few weeks. I'm not sure what's going on there, but hey guys. And uh, because it's uh, with everything going on in the US right now, it's kind of nice to, uh, if only in my mind, skip out and visit someplace else. So I hope you enjoy this episode. that I have received when I was 10 years old was Neckerton syndrome. Um, but when I was born, I was diagnosed with a different form of ichthyosis, uh, ichthyosiform erythroderma. And initially when I was born, I grew up in, I, I lived, my parents lived in a really small town and so there wasn't access to um, medical specialists back in 1981, you know, as, as good as there are now and also as good as there were in the, um, in the big city. And so um, it took a long time for them to diagnose me with a, with a different form and they did that based on um, hair samples and genetic testing. So for me, it doesn't really affect the treatment or anything. It's just a new name um, and... Yeah, so Netherton syndrome is one of the more severe types of ichthyosis and I think Harlequin's ichthyosis is the worst one and mine would be the second one. We, The people with um, Harlequin's look very similar to people with Netherton's and my skin is characterised by being very red. I look sunburnt all the time. Um, it's, it's really painful a lot of the time. Currently, my ankles... Um, and my legs are very, very sore. Um, they feel burning and, and sort of stripped of skin. Um, they're very sore from the shower, which I had this morning. Um, and I have to feel like I have to be really careful with, um, you know, how much I do 
with you know like not not to wear myself out because mm-hmm. the skin has uh, uses up a lot of energy in renewing and so for an average person uh, it shed one body of skin in 28 days but I shed one body of skin each day oh wow yeah so you know skin everywhere but um uh, you know most of the time it's okay there there's a level of pain at most times um right now the pain's quite severe but usually it's quite low um and I think it's because the skin is the biggest organ of the body and it's a barrier, um, it's very risky for infection. So I get a lot of infections on my legs, especially sometimes on my face. And when this happens, it it gets extremely painful, you know, like staph MRSA infection sort of thing. And I have to go into hospital and, and have treatment similar to burns patients where my body's wrapped up like a mummy. And that doesn't happen too often. I haven't been in hospital for almost two years, touch wood. But I do go to the hospital regularly to have um, talks with the doctors. And this year it's been very painful. So I don't know why. I've had a little bit of, um, I guess, heightened activity this year. Um, so that might have been a bit stressful for me. But um, it's, yeah, it's been pretty painful this year. But above that, it's the social challenges, which are really hard. People getting... Um, you know, feeling like they have the right to comment on my appearance or feeling like they have the right to tell me what kind of treatments to use or that I've been stupid in the sun um, or just general sniggering, commenting, staring, pointing. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people forget that the skin is an organ and is actually the largest organ in our body. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of people think that it's just cosmetic. You know, like a, a few people, even, you know, if I'm not feeling great and I say I'm sore, I've had people say, oh, yeah, I went to the gym yesterday, I'm really sore. And it's not until I say that it's more than just cosmetic. Um, you know, for one person just recently, I had to say, you know, I get this a, a staph infection, MRSA, and and when when I told them that, I think they realised just how severe it was. Like I, I just don't. I think they must have just thought it's it's just cosmetic. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Not that having a sunburn is in any way comparable to this, but like if you've ever had a sunburn, like a bad one, and I've had far more than I'd like to admit. But like if you've ever had a bad sunburn, I think it's it's hard for me to imagine that you wouldn't be able to like instantly make a connection that that kind of thing would hurt. Yeah, I can never really explain pain. Like I can never really explain how it it feels to be throbbing on the skin, but you know it feels right below the skin. The pain mm-hmm. happens. so, um, and it's it's hard for limbs to move. You know, it's hard to. Um, yeah, it's 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 a strange feeling, but it's okay. Like I'm not dying with it, mm-hmm. um, which is good. Um, although the doctors, when I go to hospital, they often say um, if I have a a skin infection and it gets into my blood, um, then that could be quite quite worrying and and could be fatal. So yeah, yeah, yeah. There's always a risk with major infections is getting into your blood and then really kind of all goes downhill from there yeah but it's okay you know I can do I I do a lot of things and I'm I'm super busy and um you know I really I really do enjoy life and um yeah it's it's not it's not all bad (laughs) (laughs) so I imagine that sun protection is probably a pretty big priority for you but you can you wear sunscreen like how do you how do you handle that so Australia is known as you know the sun the melanoma sort of capital of the world i guess it's it's very um it's it's the lifestyle here not my lifestyle but general lifestyle is um you know very outdoorsy very on the beach you know surrounded by coast um i don't like that i don't go outside a lot i'm i i find it really hard to cool down because my body doesn't regulate its temperature mm-hmm. so um i guess it, for for me sun protection is twofold it's it's to, you know, avoid the sun for me, you know, so I don't get sunburnt. But it's also to, um, I guess, quash the opinions maybe that I have been stupid in the sun, you know, that I'm not just letting myself get sunburnt. So my sun protection is um, long sleeves, a hat, sunglasses, long pants, 
in the summer. But I also get really cold, which is really hard. So, you know, while it might be, um, you know, 40 degrees, which is over 100 degrees Fahrenheit, um, it might be that that hot. I still feel cold if I go into the shopping centres or, you know, in the cinema or even in the house. Mm-hmm. So that I find mm-hmm. that really hard. Um, I A few years ago I went to the cinema when it was, you know, really, really hot. It was, you know, a 45-degree day here. So I went to the cinema. I went to see – I think I went to see three sessions or something. And in between the sessions I was quite cold because I was back in the, the air conditioning. You know, I was in the air conditioning. And I, I still – I had on, you know, long pants or, or a skirt, long sleeves, a hat. And a lady came up to me and, and just yelled at me, telling me I was so stupid for being in the sun. And she didn't listen to me at all. Like I just said, I was born like this. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not sunburned. I'm, I'm not stupid. So I find that really hard. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. I don't use sunscreen because of the um, chemicals and um, the way it hurts my skin. But a lot of people with ichthyosis do. So, you know, we're, we're all really different in the treatment we can have. And I have my moles checked regularly because I see the dermatologist all the time. Oh, that's convenient. <laughs> it's fine and, and I'm fine, yeah. Wow, that somebody would come up to you and start yelling at you about oh. being sunburned. I thought Americans were rude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I when I was in America, I, I had a lot of people, I guess because of the, you know, such a large population, I noticed it more and they're very brash and, um, you know, I don't want to generalize too much, yeah. but I... A lot of people just stare and, and tell me I'm sunburned. I had a lady chase me out of the post office, like a post office worker, and she's like asking me about whether this was eczema, and it was quite funny. Um, but it, it was hard because you know it was such a big population, and mm-hmm. I I wasn't quite used to all of the stares. But overall, it wasn't unpleasant. So it wasn't yeah. anything different to what I deal with in Australia. I'm always really interested in how like culture affects how approaches to illness and disability and that sort of thing. And I was um, talking with a friend about this. She's a cultural, multicultural communication specialist. And I have found that um, it can be really hard to explain to people with of different cultures that like that my condition is not contagious or mm-hmm. that it's, it's okay. And I actually want to write about it. I'm finding it, I, I find it a bit worrying. I don't want to come across as racist, but it's definitely been an observation that it can be hard to communicate to other cultures what this condition means to me. Um, Australia is an incredibly multicultural country, especially where I live, um, and I have found a, a range of reactions from people from different cultures. I'm trying to be diplomatic and it, it's really, it is really tough. Um, I went to a nail salon on my, uh, just the day before I got married and I went to have my nails done and the staff weren't, um, you know, they didn't speak English and it was quite humiliating to have to say, try to explain that I am not contagious, that you can do my nails, I have them done regularly and all the customers in there were turning around to have a look at me and in the end I just sort of left and I, I was almost in tears. I'm like, oh gosh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't great. But it, yeah, I, find, I do find it really hard. Yeah, that sounds like it. Especially yeah. on a day like that where you're like, I'm just trying to get my nails done <laughs> with a thousand other things to do. No. So anyway, it's, it's okay. But, um, yeah, it, it can be really hard. Yeah. So you've actually taken this experience of being a highly visible, uh, having a highly visible condition and channeled that into appearance activism, which I guess is a term that I haven't heard before, but yeah. makes well, sense. I did it. I did a um, radio interview with um, our national radio broadcaster um, at the ABC and the lady that interviewed me, Ginger, I think it was, um, she termed me that appearance activist and I thought, you know, that, that sounds pretty good. I'm going to take that. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, um, and mainly it's it's about challenging people's perceptions about what it's like to look different um, because there's such a low expectation and you know a, a lot of people expect that I haven't gone to 
um, higher tertiary education or that I don't work or, or that I'd rather not be seen, lock myself away from the world sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess that that's, that's that. But, having, but the other, other thing is having the word activist in your role title can be a bit threatening for people, I think. So sometimes I change it to advocate depending on what, <laughs> what I'm pitching myself for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In what situations do people feel threatened by the term activist? Um, well, I think if if um if I was to say that my friends in the disability community were activists and advocates, I think the advocates would get a better reception than the activists, even though we're probably doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think that the the word activist can be quite um, threatening that people think that it's non-peaceful you know I I have been involved in protests before but certainly not not violent and um, you know we, we've notified the police and that sort of thing but it's uh, yeah it's not like I'm I'm going to be um, chaining myself to a, <laughs> a pole to prove my point <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be a very comfortable activist if I have to be right yeah <laughs> um, yeah I I think in terms of, um, so a lot of the work that I do through writing and speaking is quite, uh, you know, like the skills I've built are quite transferable to my day job, for example. And if I go for a job um, and I say that I'm an activist, that can be quite, um, yeah, quite worrying, I guess, for the employer. But Right. Yeah. So that Makes can be hard. sound like a troublemaker. Yeah, that's right. No, I guess I am in a way, but you know, I'm not. I'm not going out there to. Uh, yeah, it's it's a troublemaking for the for a cause, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, what are some of the things that you've done with your activism? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I write a blog, and that's where it started. So, I have a blog, um, and you can talk about the address at the end of the podcast, I guess. Um, and so. I started on my blog just sort of telling my day-to-day story, commenting on a few kind of pop culture things. And um, then one day I went to hospital and my face was really sore and it was covered with infection and I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. And I wrote that post, when my face is this sore, I can't look at myself in the mirror, I think it's titled. Um, And that was in 2010 that I wrote that. And I got all these comments and they were more, like I was quite afraid of putting myself out there on the internet because of what people might do with my photo and I'll talk a bit about that later. Um, I So I got these amazing supportive comments and people wanted to know more and I realised the power of telling my story on my terms um, that I could um, you know, t- give as much information as I wanted to educate people in a way that, um, isn't too um, uh, I, I don't know. It's it's not too formal. It's not too medicalized. It's showing the the real um, person behind the condition. So I I started to write more about what it's like to live with the condition and started and then and then I pitched myself to a um, a government website around disability and. Well, it was a good experience to, and, and I got paid for it. It was quite a difficult thing because I really had to, and, and all of the writers there actually really had to um, quash our voices a bit and, and almost dumb ourselves down. Um, I think that the the website was trying to get super accessible communication happening and that meant that we had to write in really plain English and it, it was very hard. Anyway, so I wrote for that website for a little while and through that I won an award, um, a writing award, and I won for the best online commentary for disability media in Australia. And so I got more confident and I was at the time doing my Masters of Communication and then I decided to pitch myself to other, you know, mainstream media um, through writing for that website, the government website. I um, had to interview quite a prominent um journalist in Australia, media leader in Australia and um, I sent her the article that I did and then from there that that website um, is Mamma Mia, Mia Friedman I, I had to talk to and she's quite a high, highly regarded um, in some cases um, journalist, a media maker in Australia and so 
she published me on her website and then it took off from there. I, I've been writing for the mainstream media for about um, since 2010, which has been fantastic. Um, it's not my full-time job, so I don't have to rely on the income, but it's it's great to, um, you know, to have that media presence and the voice. And as I've written, I think the more I do it, the more I realise how important it is that we with the people with disabilities and chronic illnesses um, have a voice in the media rather than our stories being told. So, you know, it reduces inspiration porn. It reduces um, that that low level of expectation that we're so burdened with. Um, it helps us tell our story on our own terms. And mm -hmm. I would, you know, I get a lot of approaches from media outlets, um, like tabloid outlets that do shows like Embarrassing Bodies or Body Bazaar and that. And I would never choose to go on any of those shows because it's absolute exploitation and they focus on the medical side. They're, they're narrated by able-bodied people and, as we were saying just before, you know, we started recording, um, it, it caters to people that don't know much about the condition but then can become instant experts on it from watching that TV show. Okay. Um, a friend of mine just did a show recently. Um, she, Her son has the same condition as me or he has harlequinicthiosis, so more severe type. And the he did, he, he was in this video, he's quite young, you know, a child, and, uh, well, she wanted the video to be done on her own terms, and I guess it was okay, it was done with the media company, um, the comments on the video were just horrendous, and they outweighed every reason why you would do the video, you know, there were, there were, there was hate speech, and there was death threats, and it was, it was awful, and that's the kind of reason that I want to make my own media, because when we tell it in our own terms, we don't have as big a reach as these bigger media organisations, fortunately. So we we're not attracting that kind of comment, um, you yeah. know, that you, that they get. Um, but also, I think people relate more. It's not sensationalist. So yeah, um, through through blogging, it's made it's given me so many opportunities. In 2012, I went to England to speak. Um, so I guess that kind of started my speaking career, starting in another country. Um, <laughs> I. I had done a blog post or it might have been an article for that website that I mentioned, Mamma Mia, and a university had tweeted my work and they, they said, you know, great work, Carly, or whatever they said. And I wrote back thanking them and, and then I looked at what they did and, and they're the Centre for Appearance Research at the University of Western England and they work with people with facial differences. And I asked them um, how I can get involved with what they do and they asked me to review a program for young people with facial differences and I did. And then they came to Australia to meet um, at the hospital here and they asked me if I could meet them and then they asked me if I wanted to speak in England at their conference and I said yes and I did. So four, four years ago this July I spoke at that conference and my hospital who I also work with as a patient and as a um I guess a professional, um, they they paid for me to go to England. I was their first academic patient to go to speak, which is pretty amazing. Um, you know, they normally have actual doctors and nurses at these events, but they uh, they entrusted me to represent them at the at the um, university. So um, I work with my hospital quite regularly to educate doctors about what it's like to live with this condition. And also I lecture at the university with one of the professors of genetics there um, who will work at my hospital. And, um, yeah, I speak a lot to uh, mainly young people. But, you know, recently I spoke to a forum of women in leadership and the former prime minister was the speaker after me. So that was a pretty exciting day yeah, to be able to open open for Julia Gillard so that was that was pretty amazing um and then it was funny I had to go back to work to my day job and that was a bit of a come down you know I've been like speaking with the prime minister and, and then I was yeah doing my normal stuff um yeah so it was um and I also I yeah i I think mainly just writing and speaking and sometimes I do blogging consultancy and um talk to people about social media and 
yeah, I get a lot of questions about how to work with the media if you've got a if you've got ichthyosis or a facial difference, and I get a lot of questions about how to start a blog. Yeah, the question of how to work with the media. I mean, regardless of whether it's for someone with facial difference or any other condition, really. I mean, that's that is such a delicate thing that doesn't necessarily come naturally to people. I think that people get like, oh, yeah, that this is going to be a great opportunity to raise awareness. Right. But in the right. end, like sometimes it can just damage the whole community. Um, and you don't well, – once, once your photo and, and story is out there in the public domain, it can be used however, it want, however they want, mm-hmm. you know. And, um, I, yeah, so I, I wrote this, article, this piece on my blog. I think it's called What to Do When the Media Asks You for Your Story About Ichthyosis or Disability. And I've got all these questions that people can ask. And actually, I put them towards, um, you know, to, to media corporations as well when they ask me for my story. And most of them don't answer me because they say they can't because mm-hmm. it's like beyond their legal capacity. And I find that quite scary that they can't answer how will my story be represented or, um, you know, will I get paid for this? Because right. a lot of people don't right. pay you for your story. So. No, I, it's, and you- it's so rare that patients uh, ever get paid for the work that they do which is appalling oh yeah I write a lot about that and um you know I I, I've been that's why I want to write for myself because I get I get paid I get paid as a writer which is great yeah going back to what you were talking about with exploitive media and being able to tell your own story on your own terms is so important that's a large piece of why I do this podcast to be able to like let people tell their own story in their own voice um, yeah. is really important. And because I am a person who also lives with and deals with this stuff, I'm very conscious of handling other people's stories and how delicate yeah. that is. And, you yeah. know, most media producers, I mean, they're just, they just are trying to do their job and they're just trying to make uh, media that is, first of all, entertaining, you know, like even if it is something that is produced for informational purposes, like their primary <laughs> job is to produce something that people are going to want to watch or listen right. to or whatever the case may be. And things that are exploitive, they, you know, I compare it almost as horrible as this is, but like, this is how people are often treated to like going to a zoo, you know, like when your narrative gets taken away from you and your life gets taken away from you and handled by somebody else, it's often packaged in this way that is exploitive and offensive because it's, you know, more quote-unquote interesting I think that real narratives are more interesting but I'm a boring person so (laughs) um, no I think that too and you know you were talking about taking care with people's stories so I invite a lot of people to tell their story about ichthyosis and facial difference on my website and uh, on my blog and um, you know, there are some things that I I don't publish. You know, like I don't I, I don't publish photos that I think could be, um, you know, that that are oversharing or that could generate really negative comments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and I may and I let people know. You know, this is going to be read by a wide range of people. Um, you are going to be on the internet now. You know, if you're not comfortable with this, you know, just let me know. And um, you know, I. I will edit out things that I think that would bring, um, you know, like would, would compromise their privacy or whatever as well. Right. You know, a lot of people, right. when they tell me their stories, they're like, hi, I'm, you know, Jane Smith and I grew up in this this city and, and I live here and I went to this university. I'm like, this is a lot of information that you're giving away about yourself. Yeah. And something yeah. I think that a lot of people don't realize is how valuable that information is. Like literally – worth money to advertisers and market researchers and stuff like that like people pay money for that information 
they don't yeah. pay you for that information, but they pay, like, for instance, Facebook. You know, we give so much information without even realizing it to Facebook. And advertisers and market researchers and stuff are then... Facebook is making zillions of dollars off of people just giving their information away for free, which is, I have complicated feelings about, you know, it's this wonderful tool that connects us and keeps us in touch. And like, there's so many people that I w probably wouldn't still have in my life if not for Facebook. But on the other hand, there's this really exploitive aspect to that. And a lot of people don't don't it because I've worked in advertising and marketing like I'm hyper aware of that but it's something that usually doesn't even occur to people yeah yeah I think if people aren't used to telling their story or not so media savvy mm -hmm. then you know they might not be aware of this and how much information they give away so right and there's also yeah. like negotiating boundaries of like how much you do want to share with the world and, you know, yeah. what kind of things do you want to keep for yourself? That's something that I'm like constantly negotiating yeah. with as a yeah. public-ish person, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I have really tried to do, um, you know, from the start of my blog is not give away too much um you know like I said before I don't talk about my day job to you know with, with great detail um I don't often write about um tension with other people mm -hmm. um I, pr I, I do sometimes but sometimes I'll ask if I can write about it I'll write about it in a more general term you know like I wouldn't write say if I had an argument with my parents I wouldn't blog about that right you know? But I'll write about that maybe the time we had a disagreement or, you know, we had a disagreement about a, a disability issue, for example. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I, I, I don't really write about many of the medical aspects of my skin. And tonight I'm in a performance piece and I, I've written it and it, it it is quite personal about what happens with my skin. And I don't, yeah, I'm quite, I feel very vulnerable about that. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, that's a whole other aspect of it is the vulnerability. I mean, you talked before about the comments that get left on some of these things that you put yourself out there in a very vulnerable way, even if you are still holding a lot back. Um, and then, you know, especially if something's on the internet, there are just millions of people out there who are just waiting to ruin your day you know, yeah. and say all these terrible things to you. Yeah. In in 2013, um, I'd gone out to see a band and I was with my, he was my then boyfriend and he's my now husband. And I, I um, had, uh, I woke up in the morning to my blog having a whole heap of, you know, hits on it. And it had, you know, 4,000 hits already and it was only okay. 7 o'clock in the morning or something. And I'm like, oh, I haven't blogged for a long time. What's happened here? And um, I followed the link back and someone had misused my photo on Reddit. And my photo my photo was like on the front page of Reddit. Um, it, can I swear on this podcast? Go to town. Okay. <laughs> um, it was in the What the Fuck forum uh -huh. um, and – People were discussing my appearance. People were saying that I looked like something that their dog had just vomited up. Um, they said that I looked like a tomato. Um, they said that they, they asked me what my vagina looked like. Um, and it was just, you know, absolute hate speech. And initially when I saw it, I didn't really uh, – my reaction wasn't like – I don't know. It, it wasn't as bad as I thought it might be. Like this was, like I said before – I often was really worried about how my photo and story might be misused on the internet before I started blogging and this was one of my worst fears and it really like the world didn't end. Um, you know, it, it was really hard and one of the things that I did, so I wrote about it on my Facebook initially and then I took that, um, I took that post and I reworked it for Reddit and I responded to all those haters. Um, well, I wouldn't call them haters even, I would call them um, bullies, trolls. Mm -hmm. um, which so, Reddit if, is full of. God, if anyone tells me how positive Reddit is, I'll tell them this story. And um, yeah. no, I mean it has its good corners, but the vast majority of it is just a garbage castle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I so 
I turned the conversation around by telling them my story, you know. Um, I, I said, yes, this is me and I have this condition and this is what it means for me. You can read my blog here. And to this day, I still get traffic from that response that I gave them on Reddit. Um, I wrote about it on my blog after that. Like when I got home from work, I wrote about it and um, overnight um, that post really took off. And it, um, I got calls from CNN in America and some, I think, the Daily Mail in the UK. Um, and my story went global. Um, uh, that night there's a show in Australia called The Project and my my uh, Adam, uh, my husband, and I were driving home to my, because it was a Christmas time, we were driving home to my parents for Christmas and my friend texted me saying, hey, you're on the project, like they're mentioning your story on the project. So that was pretty exciting because that's one of the biggest sort of news shows here and the, one of the best ones as well, um, non-sensationalist shows. Um, and I found that by, yeah, by, by me sharing my story, it turned the commentary around, but it also happened a couple of times more and once my story was out of the news, you know how quickly the news cycle happens, mm. um, it was forgotten about and I just, I couldn't seem to get any help. Um, it was really hard, like, it, you know, my parents were very lovely and said, oh, this is exciting, you're in the news, just switch off the computer though, things are getting to you but as an online writer, you can't really do that and, right. you know, yeah, it's it's hard and I, I really, I really found it. I found it hard and I was getting awful comments. When, when it made the news, then it was a bit worse because I'd get yeah. lots of comments over to my blog and Adam was monitoring my, my comments and making making sure I didn't see them. And that's helpful to have somebody like in between yeah. you and the internet. See them, you know, and, and that's really hard. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that, that happened and um, it, that was really hard. I think that we've... If it happens to people, like that kind of bullying happens to people that don't have the support around them or the self-esteem or, um, you know, I think that that's, that's really problematic. I'm, I feel fortunate to be strong enough to have dealt with it, but I don't, I, I worry for those who aren't, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm just looking at my statistics now and that, that post, that individual post has had 10,000 views. Oh, my God. Um, no, 100, 104,000 views. Uh. My, and that's really bad actually 104,000 views but you know like I think um I remember when it when it was happening um I I think my blog had about you know 80,000 hits in a day when it really it only has about a thousand hits in a day normally or it did mm-hmm. then you know so yeah it was huge it was um yeah it was, it was quite something but this kind of stuff happens all the time to it people does. Yeah. it's awful awful yeah, it's one of my biggest fears. Like anytime I see all of a sudden there's like an uptick in my website traffic or something, I immediately start sweating and my heart starts racing because I'm like, oh God, there's yep. the internet can be such a great place if you're in like a nice tiny community bubble, but that bubble can get broken so easily and things can just go totally haywire and that to me is just like the scariest thing is in the world I mean as as much as I want the podcast to grow and get more exposure and stuff like that um there's a certain luxury to like toiling away in obscurity you know there's definitely an opportunity cost to fame and um I wouldn't at all class myself as famous but you know I've got a writing profile in Australia um and I think the more, the more I put myself out there just through writing. Um, you know, I've I've written for a very um, large Australian news site this week, and uh, you know, one of the comments I got from someone who apparently has followed me for quite a while is, "I really liked your work, but now you're attention seeking." <laughs> um, you know, and there's that kind of perception that once once you get big, you, mm-hmm. you're yeah, it's it's very it's it's. Yeah, interesting. It's it's odd. It's a it's a weird feeling. Um, yeah, yeah. And a very delicate ask, balance. <laughs> yeah, I I would rather you know I I do sort of want to keep a bit of a low a low profile as much as I can, but it it, it can be hard. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think it's much easier if you are like a fiction writer or something where yeah. you're. I mean, 
to talk about it in the way of product is kind of gross, but like essentially your product is your story and it's a lot easier when it's somebody else's story or it's not real, but like when your product is yourself and your brand is yourself, it makes it that much harder to deal with any sort of like criticism or trolling or whatever the case may be. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's very hard working close to the topic and, and you can't get any closer when the topic is you. Right. Uh, and I think that's why I've been branching out a little bit in writing more opinion pieces about wider issues, which can be hard as well because then mm-hmm. people are like, well, who are you to be qualified to write about right. this? Or, um, you know, I had to write a story this week on um, growth attenuation treatment for children with disabilities. So there was a story that happened in Australia this week on, on TV. About, and we had um, one in the US maybe yeah, a Ashley month X. ago that was in the New York Times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I So I interviewed her father. That, um, But it was such a oh, – I like – you know, I, I was really scared about writing it. The research was quite traumatic. You know, I don't mm. believe in this. Um, and I would have said a lot more, but I was I was genuinely genuinely worried. And I was telling someone who's known me for quite a while about I have to write this article and I'm really nervous. And they said, oh, well, why do they think you're the person to write the article? And I didn't really want to have to go in to explain that it's better that someone with a disability has a comment on it. But again, like I'm not a parent and so why do I have to write it? But anyway, so I wrote the article. I didn't put anything of myself in it because I'm, I, just, I just didn't want to have to get the criticism that I knew that I would get, you know? Yeah. And even, um, you know, I've, I've got a few people who, um, you know, constantly argue or try to see it a different way or whatever and I actually just said, you know, hey, I've written and researched this enough. I don't want to discuss it anymore. <laughs> Yeah. And I think you have every right to say that. Like you've spent enough time thinking about this that like talk amongst yourselves. I'm done here. (laughs) But not in my Facebook world. Just stop. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I and and last week I wrote about the film Me Before You, which you've probably seen a lot of commentary about online Mm -hmm. as well. And um, we went to a protest. We organized a protest about that and uh, I did a lot of media around it. And oh my gosh, you know, I've lost I, I seriously have lost four Facebook, well, that I know of, four Facebook friends that are involved in the argument about it. Yeah, I, I look, and I don't want to whinge because it is, it is a great, it's a great opportunity to have a platform and, and I've had such a great experience but when, you know, when, when you actually lose friends from it, that, that's hard. Yeah, that is hard <laughs> because. You're actually targeting them, like you're targeting a broad issue. Right. Like it's not, I'm, I'm writing about them or even saying, even like, like um, sending my article to them personally, like mm-hmm. I'm just posting it in the public sphere and then they take offense at it because they don't understand or they feel a different way about disability and and then they decide they don't want to be my friend. Yeah. It's so hard for me to wrap my brain around because it's, I mean, we're talking about life and death issues here. Like, yes, this is emotional, but at the end of the day, like all you're saying is like, hey, maybe let's treat disabled people like human beings? Absolutely, yeah. You know, and when I wrote about the the me before you stuff, I had a friend who, who basically said, you know, representation doesn't matter. And now I'm, I'm actually like trying to find a whole heap of examples from people like, of, um, you know, from LGBTI and um, Black Lives Matter kind of movements to say that it does matter. And I just feel, I feel like, Sometimes disability issues are the, um, and I don't even know the word now, but, you know, they're the forgotten. They're the mm-hmm, forgotten mm-hmm. ones. And, um, this you know, comes we're, up we're, in, like, every conversation that I have. <laughs> we're, you know, like, like there's so much focus, and, and I acknowledge the focus, and it has to be done to change the minds for all diverse groups. But, you know, if we replace, um, you know, in a lot of the reporting or um, in a lot of viewpoints, if we replace disabled with with black or gay then um it it would have a lot more of an impact whereas people just think disabled is so other yeah yeah i I mean i'm really not kidding when i say this comes up in every uh it doesn't always make it into the final episode but um it always comes up some like discuss things on your podcast we have a support group just to discuss this this one issue yeah (laughs) 
I mean, I think at one point I'll probably get sick of talking about it, but at this point I'm still 100% on board because it's, like, all of these issues are connected and they're intersectional and, like... Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so many of my friends are um, disabled and gay and, and tra- or trans, and so... I think, and I don't want to speak on behalf of them, but mm. I think some of the the funk, like the events run for LGBTI communities, aren't accessible to them because right. of you know right. physical access or, um, yeah, I don't know, it, it's hard. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I think um someone that you should definitely talk to on your podcast is Jax Brown, okay. who's a friend of mine, and she's um like a lesbian act- activist and a um disability activist, and she's very. Yeah, I think I follow her on Twitter. Yeah, so I think you should get in touch with her. Okay. Um, so I just, yeah, I I think that there is that kind of inaccessibility. And even for me, like I've been thinking about it a lot lately and I want to write about it soon as well, but I'm not sure how to approach it. But my mum my mom is black and my dad is white and I don't identify as either of those colours. I identify as red. <laughs> and, you know, I, I obviously identify as Australian, mm-hmm. but... I I am finding as I read more about um you know Black Lives Matter issues that I identify a lot with that maybe but I I haven't so much before and I think that for me my my color my my color red is my culture and and we talk about disability pride and you know I'm a proud disabled woman and I don't want to change I don't want to cure but. I find that hard to discuss amongst other people with ichthyosis. Like, what color do they feel? Because it can be so sensitive that they don't want, they don't even want to acknowledge sometimes that they have the condition, you know, or that it's part of them. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. All of this stuff is like so personal and so emotional that it can be hard to just have a conversation about it without it kind of spiraling out into oh. I don't even know what I'm trying to say here. I know what you mean. Um, you know, I I would say that my my ichthyosis and disability is part of my identity. And right. so many people want to because it is. It's it's just like it's part of my identity that I've you know, that I'm a a master's graduate or that I'm a um, you know, or that I'm a writer or that I'm a wife. Like I have ichthyosis, that's a fact. Right. <laughs> you know, um, but so many people want to separate that. Like, oh no, but it doesn't define me or it doesn't, it doesn't, um, you know, it's not part of my identity. It's not who I am. Right. But no, but it's it's what you have and what you want to do with it, I guess. Yeah. You know, um, not everyone to speak out about it, but it's a part of people's identity. Right. I have such a hard time with that because I'm like, but... I mean, sure, it's not all of you, but it no. shapes your whole life. How? Yeah. How so is that not a thing that you don't like that you want to talk about? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 tricky, isn't it? And sometimes I feel that you know, especially when I talk to other people with ichthyosis about this, I might be being like seen as being too pushy, or mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's it's yeah. tough. Yeah. I don't know. Well, because it also takes time to like learn to to like think it through yourself and talk it through yourself and figure out where you stand like yeah you know and you know you don't have to go out you know talking or writing about it or whatever but I think that it's good to acknowledge that yes this is a big part of our lives right right yeah yeah I think that the big like theme of all of these conversations that I have is really like visibility whether yep. it be being highly visible or being invisible and like where those things intersect and like how they interact with our identities and stuff like that. It's difficult water to tread and like everyone is different and like in a different place, you know, like mm-hmm. I maybe like I definitely didn't. Um, identify as disabled for a long time because it just didn't occur to me. Yeah, me neither. You know, Not at all. Like, I, 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 I didn't know this was this could be me. But. Yes, and I didn't even identify as having a chronic illness. Right. 
Well, me neither, but mostly because I spent a really long time undiagnosed. So I had a lot of people trying to convince me I was crazy instead. Yeah, and that's really hard, isn't it? I've been reading a lot about that kind of thing where people don't believe you or, um, you know, or can't see us because of invisible disability. It's not known. Um, But it wasn't until I started mentoring young people with chronic illnesses at the hospital that I realized that, hey, you know, I'm affected like this too. I take time off work and school and, and it's been hard socially and I have a lot of tablets to take sometimes and, you know, I, I have pain and, yeah, so I realized that I, I do have one. Yeah. So, and it, and the disability thing was really just when I started, I used to do some, um, I sort of, I used to do some community TV and then that's when I realized that I have a disability. But I, I did, because I did a disability TV show. Um, right. But I think for me, reading reading about it and becoming like reading about disability politics and identity politics um, and reading about, um, you know, well, certainly Stella Young shaped me. She was a friend mm-hmm. of mine and her work definitely shaped my views and, um, you know, immersing myself among people with disabilities in my friendship circles has really helped me think beyond my condition mm-hmm. and think really broadly about issues, which I'm really thankful for. Because I think that it can be quite easy for people to get very wrapped up in their own condition and not yes. see the wider issues. And you have probably found this as well through doing your podcast that so many other stories help shape your um, experience. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, identifying as disabled is like one of the best things that's ever happened to me. Um, yeah. Wow. And not many people would say that, would they? Right. I mean, because on the one hand, like finally having a diagnosis, very validating, very helpful. Um, but also like it's it's taken this experience that would otherwise be extraordinarily isolating and given me this huge community. And that has allowed me to see, you know, some of the broader unifying things that go on in the disability community and our healthcare system and stuff like that. Um, and I think m- most able-bodied people who have never had to sp- spend a moment of their life thinking about this would think that that's crazy, but like, that's my truth, you know? Yeah. 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 And I think that it's, it's a really good thing to have a broader perception about disability rather than just your own. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you about like your experience in the Australian healthcare system and and what even is the Australian healthcare system? Okay. Obviously, in the United States, we have a um, interesting setup, <laughs> yes. uh, to put it yeah. lightly. Uh, so um, I'm always curious about like what's going on in other countries and what people's experiences and other systems are like. Yeah, I I feel so so lucky, so lucky. Um, one thing is that um, I work full time, so I'm not entitled to any government benefits, you know, like a a pension and or a healthcare card, and and that's fair enough because my wage allows me to afford most of the things that I need. But sometimes I think it would be good to have just a healthcare card, which would allow me discount pharmacy items because that's where I spend most of my money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I went to the GP the other day, the general practitioner, and, um, you know, I paid $7, which is amazing <laughs> to just see a, you know, a doctor, which is just wonderful. Um, we have public and public health care and private health care, and I don't, I don't subscribe to private health care because I see the doctor so much that it would just not be cost efficient for me. And also I have a pre-existing condition, so I'm not sure how that would work. So I, my health care is all public and it's amazing. Um, apart from the weight, <laughs> you know, apart from the weight in the hospital, um, I see I, I find it fine. Um, I see. I go to a teaching hospital, the Royal Melbourne Hospital, which is great. Um, my doctors are on rotation for a year, and they're overseen by uh, a team of um, senior specialists, which are all fantastic. And um, they also can put me in touch with a range of specialists in the hospital. So, because of my skin condition, my eyes and my ears get affected as well, and my immunology and you know, allergies um, are as well. So, I can see the 
ear, nose and throat specialist, the eye specialist. Um, at the moment, I'm on the waiting list to see the macular facial surgeon because I have a um, broken tooth and it needs to come out, but I can't go to the dentist and have it just in the regular the regular way that people have it because I need to be in the hospital with you know proper oversight from doctors because of my skin. So um, while that's a little bit pesky for the weight, it means that I don't have to pay anything to have my wisdom teeth out. And um, yeah, you know, it's it's a good, like for me, it's a good system. But for others, um, when I wrote about my $7 appointment, I know now never to write about how cheap my medical <laughs> fees are again, because everyone will tell me that I'm very privileged, which I acknowledge that it, it is a, it is a good thing, and not everyone has to pay for that. But um, I, you know, there are people out there that can't afford things. Yeah. So look, I find it I find it pretty good, and um, I, you know, through through the tax system, we pay a Medicare levy, and um, that you know that ensures that we get um, affordable healthcare. So Great. I don't mind. Um, you know, friends of mine are, are in similar boats where they uh, have, you know, have different medical conditions and see different specialists and, um, you know, again, free healthcare. Um, my friend had a lung transplant in a public hospital and, you know, she's doing really well. So, Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's so hard to wrap my head around. Um, what are the wait times like? Like how, how long do you end up waiting for stuff? Okay, so if I go to emergency when I'm sore, I think because people think, you know, skin's cosmetic and, you know, it's not as bad as someone that have broken their leg or, um, you know, um, got an injury, uh, you know, a bloody injury or whatever, um, generally I have to wait about five hours in emergency before I'm ad admitted. <laughs> I'm laughing because, it, like, 18, spending 12 hours, 18 hours waiting in the emergency room in the U.S. is, like commonplace less so now than it used to be because i think they've figured out more efficient ways to do things but like that is really well, funny i had to go to hospital in an ambulance a few years ago when i had a allergy to seafood and i what i didn't realize is even if you go in an ambulance you're not seen as a priority so i still had to wait four hours interesting yeah, so and you know, like I wasn't dying; it was fine. I didn't have to have a, um, I didn't have to have a a, a shot of mm -hmm. what's it called, you know, the I can't remember what it's called now. Yeah, yeah, I didn't have to have a, have one of those um, shots and EpiPen. Um, but yeah, I look, I find it okay. One one of the things that I do find hard sometimes is having to explain my condition because it's a teaching hospital and you, the doctors change. I have to explain the history of my condition to each doctor and. Sometimes I have to see student doctors when I don't want to, um, and I and I'm always able to say I don't want to. If I'm if I'm particularly unwell, I just want to get a solution then, um, and not have to explain my history. But generally, I'm happy to you know talk about my backstory. Um, yeah, so I find it okay. I'm you know I'm we're very lucky, and like I said before, my my parents are, are foreign, and they came to Australia just before I was born, and. When I was born, I needed serious medical treatment, and and it was all given to them, you know, despite them not being Australian citizens, which is amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. Where did yeah. they emigrate from? Um, my mum is from South Africa, and my dad is from England, and they came to Australia because of the apartheid in South Africa. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I have like a thousand more questions about that, but <laughs> they're a little off topic. Um, <laughs> What role does like private healthcare play in Australia? Because you mentioned some people get healthcare privately. Yeah. Um. Well, I can't. I don't know. I I actually can't comment too much on that. I don't use it. I I haven't. I think I looked into the extras. You know, like um, so teeth and eyes. But even then, because I have a pre-existing pre condition, it would be more expensive. Mm -hmm. Um. I think they kind of aim it around, like aim the marketing around tax reduction. Um. But I, I don't know. I I think that for people that have the private healthcare, sometimes they don't get they don't get value for money. Mm -hmm. um, and I also know that. Um, so when I travelled overseas, I've been to America and, and also England and Europe. I have um, I had a lot of trouble getting health insurance for travel insurance because of my existing condition, and it. The people, and I've heard similar where with mental illnesses actually, um, 
they don't want to listen to your story. It's very, very by the book. Um, I initially, I remember when when we first went overseas in 2014, uh, 2012. Um, my, you know, my mum said to me, "Oh, don't worry. If you pay by credit card, we can get health insurance just on the credit card." And so. Anyway, so she used to work at the bank that our credit cards are issued by and she got her one okay in and she said to me, someone is going to call you about your health insurance, you know, on Tuesday or whatever and they did and then they were telling me that if I was to get sick with a non-related condition like a stomach bug or falling over, breaking my leg or something, even though because I've got the condition, even though that, um, you know, the secondary sickness is different to my existing condition, I would have to pay $5,000 to get it treated in America. Mm-hmm. And they that just, sounds I said, right. yeah, but it's not related. Like it's not related at all. So I had to, I had to find out from, um, like, my, no, but this is Australian. Like I wouldn't have, I would have had to pay American money as well and then oh, get okay. it. Like that, but on top of whatever I would have to pay in America, I would also have to pay $5,000 to my insurance company. So that would have been a huge amount. Um, so I had I asked some friends who had existing conditions who they've used and I found a really great um, insurer. And so then when I traveled again and, and then I'm going overseas again soon, I will use – I have and will use them as well because they've got my files on record. So that – that was quite tricky and um, my mum came over to America with me the first time I went and she got sick and when we went, to, we were waiting in the doctor's surgery and I think the guy just saw money, like money bags when he looked at me because <laughs> he thought that I was like going to be the patient. And yeah, she ended up paying a lot of money. I just couldn't believe it. I think she paid about $540 all up for her, her treatment and uh, the, the consultation and also the pharmacy. Mm-hmm. Mm, it was um, enormous. Whereas, you know, like my prescription every month, I get 10 kilos of um, paraffin made up and it's $37. Wow. Yeah, it's great. So it's very, very affordable, but not for everybody, you know, and there are people that are on welfare that can't afford things. And mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. That is, can I talk about this? It can be really hard with um, traveling with my condition because of the treatment, like the creams I use because they're paraffin. So when I've traveled to um, America, um, wow, my experience with the TSA has been um, hideous. <laughs> yeah, most people's is. <laughs> yeah, I've been in tears. Um, when I was in New Orleans, um, I, I got a really early flight and I'd been to see Kings of Leon the night before. And I was really tired because I didn't get back till about one and my flight was at five or something, maybe six, but I was at the airport at half past four, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, it was, it was all very early. And I um, I had a, a note or something from Chicago TSA to tell me that I could, or to tell the airport, that I could like be okay with my creams I had all doctor's certificates and everything and everything was legitimate like doctor's certificates um I had like my prescription stickers on there and all that but they didn't believe me and they're like you know we will treat you as a terrorist until you're proven otherwise oh god yeah it was awful I was in tears and they didn't understand and in the end I just you know I, I was really angry and I just you know I just said why would I make this stuff up why would I forge this this is my condition that I've lived with all my life and you know I can't just rely on getting creams here because you don't have what I use mm-hmm. so that was a hustle yeah <laughs> yeah do you so, have any travel tips uh yes um get a letter from your doctor and list all of the products that you'll be using um that you'll be carrying with you um Make sure that you talk to the airline about what you need. So soon I will be talking to my airline that I'm flying with about needing extra leg room for the long-haul flight to Europe. Um, it's about 24-hour flight. Oh, Yay. <laughs> um, and um, that, in a way, had worked out quite well for me when I travelled with Air New Zealand. But, again, we were talking about the cultural aspects of communicating with this condition. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I flew with other airlines, it was very hard. Right, And actually, right. um, I had tried to get in contact with an airline that I flew with from England um, for ages, you know, pretty much when I booked my ticket, I tried to get in contact. Could not get in contact with anyone from the disability section. It was only when I tweet them that they would say, hey, give us a call. 
So anyway, I had finally, like about two weeks before I left for my trip, my last trip, which was seven weeks, um, I got in contact with this airline's disability section and it was probably all signed off except I had to argue. So they said to me that, um, you know, on their special needs part of their website, they have people with babies and people with disabilities. And I said, you know, I need extra leg room and I need, um, you know, I need water to keep hydrated and I will be carrying my creams with me in stowaway luggage and one one pot on in carry-on anyway oh my gosh it was so awful they told me that if I was a parent I wouldn't like I'd be okay with this special extra access but because I have a disability I'd have to pay more I said well that's ridiculous because you've got these on the same part of your website like we both got different needs and well they're quite similar but for, for different reasons um anyway and then so everything was signed off after I finally got in contact with them like I had extra leg room and extra water and luggage and that and I got to Heathrow Airport at six in the morning to fly back to Australia and they said that I would have to pay for my extra leg room and I said well no I've got this this um, email from them and of course I couldn't locate the email on my iPad because I wasn't connected to the Wi-Fi there and I was in tears and I was quite assertive and I said you know what I've been trying to get in, t- in contact with your disabled section disability section for weeks before I traveled and everything was signed off and I really wasn't treated very well in trying to get in contact with them. And finally, like, I I got what I needed and I spoke to the manager and I just said, you know, this is going to be a really long trip ahead of me. I'm I'm really worried and you have to listen to your customers. Um, When I returned home, I found in my other messages on Facebook, you know how you've got those, like, messages that don't often arrive from people that aren't your friends? Yeah. 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 I had someone, like, use my own name and send me a message to tell me what a stroppy bitch I was at Heathrow Airport. Wow. Yeah. So I complained to that airline who didn't really take my complaint seriously. They're like, oh, that's just a Facebook glitch. <laughs> I don't think it was. How a very they- specific Facebook glitch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then they gave me some frequent flyer points for the airline. I said, well, I'm never going to travel with you again. Yeah. Yeah. So this time I'm traveling with a different company and I'm still a bit nervous. <laughs> I don't blame you. Yeah, it's I, hard because yeah. no one's heard of this condition. And again, it comes back to the fact that it just looked cosmetic. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to ask me? I don't think so. I think that covers it pretty well. Um, where can people find you? Um, I have a Twitter and an Instagram, which is at Carly Findlay, that's C-A-R-L-Y-F-I-N-D-L-A-Y. And my blog is carlyfindlay.blogspot.com. And I also have a Facebook, which is Carly Findlay, writer, speaker, and appearance activist. Great. So I'm all over the socials and I love it. I love hearing from people. Um, Yeah, it's great. Well, Carly, thank you so much for talking to me. This was a joy. Thank you. It's been so lovely. And I love, I really love your podcast. It's um, such a good listen. Thank you so much. It's been job. a very interesting experience working on it. And like in the best possible way. Yes. Yeah. yeah weird. Well, you're doing a fantastic job. And um, yeah, thank you for interviewing me. Oh, thank you for spending time with me tonight. This was fun. No problem. It's cool to talk to somebody on the other side of the world. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) And thank you for listening to this episode of In Sickness and In Health. Find links and more from us at insicknesspod.com. There you'll find the episode page for this episode. You'll find links to Carly's blog, carlyfindlay.com.au, and links to her Twitter and Instagram at carlyfindlay. And her podcast, Refreshments Provided. Be excellent to yourselves and each other and uh, have a happy 420.